This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Chalk flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight. It is May the 17th, 2013, and I'm Phil Nasons, and I'm the host of this weekly radio program dedicated to the great sport of tennis. From the teeny all the way to the top, we cover it all, and we have a lot of fun along the way. 
We are currently hosted on Max Sports Channels at 4 p.m. Eastern daily, as well as various times throughout the day at Independent Radio LA. And we want to welcome you all to This Week in Tennis. Joining me tonight from Scotland at what time would it be there? Midnight? Thursday after evening. Mr. Craig Doyle from CraigDoylePhotography.com. Welcome to the show, Craig. How are you today? I'm excellent, Phil. Um, absolutely correct with the time. Just about to turn midnight. and really looking forward to the show tonight. Yeah, me too. It's about 2 a.m. here, and I'm just warming up for my baseball show after. Friday is my 24-hour day. <laughs> Crazy stuff, dude. Anyway, I should have, I, I made a mistake, Craig. I should have started the show and introduced you as the future NBA analyst. <laughs> what is up with that? Uh, you know how it is. Uh, as we say on this show, uh, you know, listen in if you want to make some cash with the, the Flash. And, uh, you know, I went against the Flash the other night and lucked out and uh, won a little bit of money betting on the NBA. See, that's usually what people do. They bet against what I say. That's how they make the cash with the flash. They just go against what I say, and it usually works out for them. But, yeah, that Memphis Grizzly game was a – the Memphis-Oklahoma City game was tough. That's a hard call. Five points is a lot to give up or actually to get in that game. Oklahoma City, they play well at home. I was kind of surprised. I figured that they would win. Or if they didn't, they would only lose by a couple. But good call. So what's the future like for you as an NBA analyst? <laughs> I imagine it's quite slim. You know, it's NBA is something that's just come onto our mainstream sports channels here. It's now um, being screened on the mainstream sports channels on a more regular basis. So it's something that, for me, it's new, it's fresh. I'm starting to take a bit more interest in it than I have before because I can see it live. And thus far, you know, I'm enjoying it. You know, that's helpful that you can see the sport live. You know, it's helpful. The U.S. Open, um, ESPN has just announced that in 2015, they will ex be the exclusive carrier in the United States of the U.S. Open. They will have this. It will include 130-plus hours of television coverage. They will be on Watch ESPN and ESPN3. And will show every match on all 17 tournament courts. Currently, they have six in their agreement. Um, let me see what else is there that we can look at here. Uh, included in ESPN's new rights are the middle weekend of play, including Labor Day, plus the men's and women's semis and finals. Starting in 2015, the women's semis will be played on a Thursday in primetime with the men's semis taking place on Friday. The women's finals will be on Saturday, as it is now, and the men's finals will be on Sunday. Thoughts? Any? Because I have some. <laughs> um, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's difficult to offer a very good opinion, and I don't want to sound naive here, but I'm not overly familiar with the American television setup, but from... What I've read, and I've only read this in the last 10 minutes, you made me aware of this just before we came on the air. Um, what you said there that did instantly take my interest was that they are 
ESPN channels seem to be very um, enthusiastic about this. To be screening matches from all 17 courts almost sounds a little bit like overkill. Um, a huge step up from the six show courts are shown at the minute. And, you know, I just wonder whether it'll be worth it to have all 17 courts uh, available for live viewing right the way through the tournament. Is that uh, a real big step up from the six or is it, uh, you know, is, is it pointless? But, um, you know, I, I think where we're going to take this argument, and I'm sure I, I don't want to step on your toes here, is that the accessibility of the U.S. Open to the the people of the United States may just be about to go down. Is that right? Yeah, a little bit, I think. You know, um, for starters, it's great that they have 17 courts because look how many more out-of-work tennis players can get a job as a commentator. I think that's cool. <laughs> I mean, whatever. But uh, honestly, not everyone in America has ESPN. You know, they, they, they make a big... St- st- Display the United States Tennis Association does at least, and they own the U.S. Open. About being accessible to all levels of society, and well, not all levels of society can afford cable television. I know it's hard to believe out there, but it's true. And see, at least CBS had this a thing. You know, you knew it was coming. It'll be they played on the last two weekends of the the first weekend and the second weekend. You watch them all. And at least you could watch it no matter what type of TV you had or what type of financial situation you have. Everybody pretty much has a TV, I suppose. But not everyone has cable. And now I, I reckon that those young kids who probably grow up with less than profitable means, I should say, well, they won't get to see these matches unless they go to their friend's house, probably. Maybe I'm making a big deal out of this over nothing, but... Um, I grew up watching it on CBS, Pat Summerall, and those fellas, Tony Trabert. So I kind of like the CBS thing. And plus, I like the fact that uh, it started in the afternoon, later in the afternoon. It did it wait till the football was over, so I don't know how that's going to work out. ESPN does have Sunday night football. So, uh, hmm, you never know what the schedule is going to actually be. But it's good for the U.S. Open, I mean, and for the USTA because they're going to make a lot more money. 17 courts, I'm sure that brought in a few extra bucks. I wonder where they'll spend the money. But I don't think it's that great of an idea. I would hope that they would make it accessible somehow, find a way so everyone can watch it. But it is what it is, I guess. Gee whiz, that's the end of an era for CBS. ESPN, the official carrier of the U.S. Open. Now, they have the same thing in uh, the U.K. with Sky Sports, right? In the BBC? Yeah, I, I guess I can relate a little in that way. The BBC has pretty much always had Wimbledon. It has a long-standing agreement, despite the fact that Sky Sports would probably pay twice, three, four possibly even five times as much money to get the rights to Wimbledon. Um, but the the long-standing agreement with the BBC makes it accessible to everyone with a television, uh, not just those willing to pay for the Sky package, which is you know, certainly extortionately priced if you compare it to just having a TV set. And uh, the reason being there is uh, if 
the BBC lose Wimbledon, then effectively tennis disappears from the screens of a big chunk of the audience that don't have access to the Sky Sports package. Uh, and, and tennis, Wimbledon in the UK is tennis to, to anyone who doesn't have Sky Sports. You know, you don't get access to these Masters events. Uh, you get limited access to things like Roland Garros and the ATP Tour Finals in London. But, you know, you never see the US Open here on the BBC. You never see the Australian Open, with maybe the exception of the final. So it, it's a very limited amount of tennis actually makes the BBC and reaches the biggest audience here. So I, I think I can understand from that point when you talk about the US Open um, being a little bit less accessible because not everyone has cable to see ESPN. I can understand where you're coming from and I can understand your concerns. Yeah, but I guess in the end of the day, it's still good for the sport because the UST will make more money. Whether they where they put that money is another issue altogether. But it is what it is, right? Anyway, they went mad at Madrid last week. We were going to talk about that last week, but, you know, John Tomic decided to uh, completely flip out. And that was more important to talk about that issue. And we received a lot of emails about that congratulating us. They were waiting for me particularly to go off and I didn't there's no point in uh, going off on the guy the the court system will do that I would think I would hope and if they do well they do but hopefully Bernie Tomic is doing alright but the women uh, they made some noise over there didn't they uh, in Madrid I tell you something maybe Madrid is just jinxed what was up with Victoria Azarenka in Madrid, Craig? I don't remember exactly, but I know she got into it with some people. Yeah, she had an incident with the chair umpire during her loss to, I think it was Makarova in one of the earlier rounds. What happened was she'd been given a warning earlier in the match, and then she basically went and destroyed a racket, and the second warning led to a points penalty, as it does. And Azarenka didn't like that. She believed she hadn't already received a verbal warning. So she kicked off at the chair umpire. Um, she made some pretty nasty comments regarding the how she felt towards the chair umpire and how she felt that the chair umpire really shouldn't have been in the chair in the first place. And to be honest, it's typical Victoria Azarenka. When she's not winning, she tends to lose her head a little bit. She forgets where she is, and she shows a really immature side. Um, that's We've seen several times in the past, certainly when she's things are not going all her way on the court. Instead of breaking rackets, maybe she should have taken another injury timeout. <laughs> well, you know, that's uh, one of the more famous incidents from this year, and that ranks right up there with the uh, incident prior to that where she had to um, pull out of a match with Serena before it started because she'd had a, a bad pedicure or something like that. Yeah. You know what? This girl, I don't know what to say about her. But she's made a lot of money, and she, uh, I guess she tries to be a model or something now. She should probably try to model her behavior after normal tennis players. She's just goofy, I think. I'm not a big fan of Vika, but needless to say, uh, 
she got bounced. Makarova cracked her real good, two and three in the last two sets. I think maybe she did get a bad pedicure. Maybe her favorite cartoon wasn't playing in the morning. Perhaps she didn't get enough honey with her yogurt. You never know with her. And uh, she blew up and made a fool out of herself, which is, well, what she does. Sloane Stevens, she made some news down there in Madrid, too, didn't she? Uh, what did she say? That Serena's not really that nice off the court? Yeah, it was an interesting one because it almost seemed like someone was having a slow news day somewhere and they brought up this interview with Sloane that she did with, um, maybe it was ESPN or some magazine, a while back, and suddenly these quotes were thrust out there now, and then Sloan had to go straight on the defensive. Um, and she was kind of fortunate that Serena was in more of a given mood this week, and she sort of batted the comments down, smoothed things over, and, you know, she played the big sister pretty much. How Sloan said that she hadn't been playing the big sister before, and... Uh, it, it was quite interesting to see how how that little scenario developed and then was cooled down by Serena, showing you know great maturity and I, I think it takes a lot of the heat off Sloan going forward. <laughs> Serena was being gracious. She should have ripped her a new one. No, why does Serena have to be nice to her off the court? They're competitors. Serena doesn't give a rat's ass about any of those girls out there except for her sister. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Who cares what Sloane Stevens has to say, really? Who is Sloane Stevens again? Do you remind, will you remind me? Has she won any WTA tournaments yet? Um, I actually I can't tell you off the top of my head. I she's maybe won one of the smaller events, but you know she's not won anything major on the tour. Um, anyone who gets the name Sloane Stevens put in front of them, they're going to remember the Australian Open semi-final. Thus far in her young career, you know, that's her crowning achievement at the big events. And as we've said time and time on the, again on this show, it's the big events that matter. It doesn't matter how many of these little events you win. You want to be recognized as a top player, as a, uh, a top athlete on this tour. You've got to win at the big events. And, you know, Sloan's a young girl. She's not done any of that yet. She's got a big future ahead of her. And, you know, we wish her all the best. Yeah, but uh, in America, nobody cares about who finished second or third or fourth. They only care about first. So she's got to keep her name out there somehow, I suppose. Jeez, taking shots at Serena, though? That's not cool. That's not cool, man. Leave Serena alone, Sloan. You better work on your game because from what I can see, things ain't going so well these days. But needless to say, this was a good tournament for Sarah Irani over in Madrid. Now that we've gotten some of the madness out of the way. Um, and then she ran into the human buzzsaw known as Serena Williams. The person who's not so nice to people off the court. But Sarah Ronnie, dude. She's make, she's hanging in there. She's playing pretty good. You know, at the start of the year, I thought Sarah might go backwards. Because uh, last year, I think she won quite a few events in a row in the clay at the start of the season. Which really brought her points total up. And she had that run to the final in at Roland Garros. But, um, you know, for one of the sort of smallest players in terms of physicality on the tour. She's, uh, you know, not short on effort, energy, running, uh, hanging in there. 
And the clay is really her thing. You know, this is the time of the year she's going to shine. She's got that top eight seeding, so she's going to get through plenty of the, the first early rounds because she's going to be taking on players who are not as good as her on the clay. And, you know, from what I've seen so far, she's, she's going to have another one of those years where she's going to stick around. And, you know, hopefully for her, she doesn't lose all that momentum again at Wimbledon on the grass where she's not so good. If she doesn't, she I, I think it could be another big year for Sarah Arani, and she should probably finish the top eight again. Well, she heard the show, and she got upset because you put her down. You thought Angelique Kerber was going to be better than her. That's what it is, Craig. You <laughs> pissed her off, and now the little Italian's playing ball. I'll tell you who played ball in Madrid is Annie Ivanovic. I was kind of stunned, really. She knocked off your girl, Angeliki Kerber, 3-1, and one, and then she ran into the other hottest player on the women's side of things, Maria Sharapova. Sharapova took care of business, 4-3. and three. But Ivanovic played well. Sharapova played well. And then, jeez, what happened then? I don't have the... You know, this is really weird. I'm looking at the draw here from Madrid. And they don't have the champion or the score up there. Hmm, wonder why. But Serena destroyed Maria Sharapova once again, didn't she? Yeah, she did. And I think, you know, there's been enough meetings between this this pair of players that we all know that Serena's got Sharapova's number. Um, Sharapova's got that serve. She's, she's got a lot of power that a lot of players on the tour just can't deal with. Um Serena's a different animal completely. She's got, you know, that power and more. She's just far too dominant for Sharapova. She, she she takes away everything that Sharapova has that gives her an advantage over other people, and she sends it back with interest. And, um, you know, for Sharapova, I guess it's kind of like a taste of her own medicine, you know? It kind of feels like what the other girls feel when they're playing against her. And, you know, ends us out. Serena won again, and I think she was pretty impressive. And I think Serena will be quite happy going forward because she'll be looking to build towards Roland Garros because she won't want to end up in a situation like last year at the French Open where she went out in the first round. Yep. Anyway, Serena is the champion. I read an article about... Article. I shouldn't call them articles. I read a blog post, I should say, on a website about Serena claiming she shouldn't be favored at the French Open because she doesn't do well on clay. She doesn't play that much on clay. She's been hurt the last four or five years. Needless to say, congratulations, Serena. And Maria, number two is not bad. It really is not. It's better than number three and number four and number five. But as for my money, Serena is the best on the tour. When she wants to play, she plays. When she doesn't, she doesn't. And that's how it works. But the men, I'll tell you what, after the Bernie Tomic thing, Things kind of settled down a bit. A bit, I should say. Big surprise. Stanislav Warinka made it to the finals. That was huge for him, huh? Yeah, it's big for Stan because he's always going to be seen as this number two player to come out of Switzerland. You know, the other guy. Um, But he's had like a really good run this year. He's... Put his game together, he's been pretty solid, and ever since the switch to the clay, he's sort of accelerated from being this guy who's just in the top 20, who could be dangerous now and again, to to being this guy that's maybe top 10, top 8 on the clay, um, maybe, maybe even better than that. And he, He's a dangerous um, 
individual to come up against, especially if you're a seated guy. You don't want to meet him uh, before the quarterfinal stage, etc. And, you know, he had a great run in Madrid. He took it all the way to the final. He maybe had a little bit of luck in the draw because he, he didn't have to come up against Djokovic. He ended up playing against Dimitrov, who was probably exhausted after his victory over Djokovic. And, um, you know, Songa's the kind of guy someone like Warrenka's going to deal with quite well. Uh, and I think, you know, to get to the final was as good as he was going to get, given the, who he was up against. Uh, I think he'd be one to watch at Roland Garros, you know, the sort of dark horse. You want to get an, an outside bet for a guy who might reach the semi-final. Warren Carr, if he gets a good draw, might be a good shout to get to that semi-final at Roland Garros. Yeah, depending on the draw, I think you're right. You know, he gets underrated a lot. I think that's ridiculous. He's He's been solid throughout his career, really. But he's in the shadows of a legend. And when you're in the shadows of a legend without the legend-type game, strange things happen. But I'm really happy for him. And Rafael Nadal, good grief. This kid, two and four in the finals over Warenka. He mowed down everybody. I mean, he killed everybody, really. Rafael Nadal is back, my friends. I, I, I don't think he ever really left, but... Now that he's really there, he's kicking some complete butt. I, I haven't seen him play like this in a while, have you? Um, no, not really. I mean, he had that one tournament. Was it Indian Wells when he first came back on the hard court? And everyone was like, can Rafa do this on the hard court? Will it break his knees down again, et cetera, et cetera. You know, with Rafael Nadal's here, he's proven that he's still the man, um, certainly on clay. He had that loss to Djokovic in Monte Carlo, I think it was. But, you know, this this is getting close to uh, the French Open. This is getting serious for Rafael Nadal. It's his Grand Slam. It's, you know, his castle. He'll be there to defend it. He's got to start picking up his game. And if, if Madrid's anything to go by, there's some serious intent by Nadal. He's laid down this big marker for everyone else to follow. He's trying to show everyone, you know, I'm still Rafael Nadal, I'm still invincible on the red dirt, I'm going to win the French Open. It's it's fantastic intimidation tactics ahead of uh, Roland Garros. He's just going to be the guy to beat. And, you know, I, I think he might even be the guy to beat again in Rome this week. It could be another one of those uh, seasons where Nadal wins, you know, three out of the four big clay court titles and that that's what keeps his ranking up even when he's not play, playing particularly good on grass or hard court, it'll keep him up in the top four, no problem. Yeah, I can agree with you more. I tell you what, he's a, he is just a hoot, a hilarious hoot. One minute he's snarling, and the next minute he's smiling. He, he's got it going on now. He still has got that little pre-game, pre-match little jumper he does there. I think that's a hoot, too. But, man, he really took care of business. Anyone who thinks that Rafael Nadal has lost a step, well, he hasn't lost a step on the dirt. But then he doesn't step. He slides. And that's why Americans don't do so hot. You know, that's the other thing. I don't think that there was a single American in the draw in the men's side of things in Madrid. Not Well, Jesse Levine is there. He's technically an American. But, well, he wasn't good enough to play for USA. Let's see who else. Was there anybody else, Greg? Yeah, John Isner made an appearance in oh, the, Isner, yeah, the first, second round. I think he lost to Andujar, who had a really good week. Yeah, that's a pity. Two of them. Two of them. Well, anyway, at least it's better than none, I suppose. 
All right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a break, and when we return, we're going to take a look at what's been happening down in Rome. You're listening to This Week in Tennis on Max Sports Channels and Independent Radio LA. Looking for the latest information on your favorite sports team? Why not check out 15-year-old founder Trevor Urenz, ProSportsExtra.com. Updated daily by a staff of over 30 writers, ProSportsExtra.com is the place to be. You can check them out, and I insist that you do, at ProSportsExtra.com. Stitcher Smart Radio is an award-winning, free mobile application that lets you listen to your favorite shows and discover the best of news, entertainment, and sports on demand. Now you don't even need a Wi-Fi or a cell connection to listen to shows like The Phil Nation Show. Never miss another show. It's real simple. Just go to Stitcher.com and download the free app today. And never miss another Phil Nation Show. Are you tired of boring sports websites that spout the same old company line? If you are, then I'd invite you to stop over to the sportsgoons.com. The Reggie Commentary and a weekly podcast highlighting today's issues is second to none. That's the sportsgoons.com. The new media has arrived. For you, the listeners of This Week in Tennis, Audible.com is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I'd personally like to recommend Tim Galloway's book, The Inner Game of Tennis. And you can get this book or any other of over 100,000 titles, all for free, simply by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, please go to audibletrial.com slash flash tennis. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash flash tennis and get your free audiobook today. If you're moving to the Atlanta area or simply looking to buy that new dream home, we'll look no further than to real estate agent Latrissa Fryson. Latrissa has over 10 years in real estate experience and she's anxious to put you in your brand new home. For more information, you can contact Latrissa at latrissa.com. That's L-E-T-R-I-S-S-A.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we come together. Cool. And I think it's cool. I'd rather see someone do that than put something on that's, well, just crap. It's all about tonight. Bill Nason. Some of the things that these people say. Tom Donahue. There is no nonsense here. This isn't knucklehead theater. Jimmy Z. That is such twisted logic. Alex Jones. You heard it here first. Now it's mainstream news. Yeah, tomorrow can wait till tomorrow. Ah, it's a lot of fun. I said tomorrow can wait till tomorrow. It's all about tonight. And we'll have fun, I promise. Weeknights, starting at 10 Eastern on the Talk Superstation. It's all about tonight.
Welcome back to This Week in Tennis. Rome, Craig. And we're, like I said, we're joined. I should have said this already. It's so late here. Um, we're joined by Craig Doyle from CraigDoylePhotography.com. One of the best illustrators out there. Wait till you see this logo this guy makes for me for my, my daily show, which is going national in October. Beautiful stuff, my friend. You're good. And you folks, if you need some stuff done, I insist that you contact Craig because he's really good. Really good. And he didn't even pay me to say that, did you? No, no, no not at all. Um, you know, you've seen the previews. You know what's coming. And, uh, you know, I think we've got some exciting times ahead in terms of the uh, media package we're going to put out for you. Yeah, that, I already have that big media kit, but this is even going to be better. So I'll tell you something. But the photographer took my picture. Ooh la la. <laughs> I had to get that in, too. You, Craig didn't take the picture. We're not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Craig knows who took it, and it's okay. Anyway, boy, i tell you what. This is what makes this show so much fun, Craig. I get to hang out with you and, and kick it a little bit. Anyway, Rome. Rome's happening. And it looks like things are a little more back to normal. Novak Djokovic is rolling along after his untimely defeat last week in Madrid. You know, people talk about Djokovic and they say, oh, I'm sure Phil loved it when he lost. Well, I don't really care, to tell you the truth. I'm not a big fan. But needless to say, here's the king. People lose sometimes. Even Novak Djokovic loses. Don't make excuses for him. He just lost. Maybe he wasn't interested Maybe he has something else better to do. Or maybe he's only thinking about majors at this point because, you know, he doesn't have the greatest reputation, or I should say the greatest media presence, if you will. He's not a worldwide icon. And you only get to that level by winning majors, not Madrid. So give the kid a break. I can't believe I just stuck up for Novak Djokovic. It's time for a first on this show every single week, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even I, th- I don't think even Djokovic was too, you know, defensive about his loss. He just kind of held his hands up, and uh, you know, it happens, sort of thing. So uh, he'll come back. He's not number one in the rankings for no reason. Um, you can be sure when things get serious, the Joker is going to be back in town. Yeah, we hope so, because I want to see him lose in the final of the French Open, the Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. That's what I want to see, a three-peat loss. But it's great that he gets to the finals every year, though. He is he is kind of entertaining, in a way, I suppose. Anyway, Tomas Burgess having another great week. You know, we didn't even talk about him from last week in Madrid. But here he is again. Now he's facing Djokovic. He's got no shot there, does he? Or does he? You know what? I... He's not got a good record against Djokovic. Let's get that out of the way to start with. But I think Thomas Burdich, at this time of the season, on the clay, in Europe, this is probably his time of the season where he's going to pick up most of his points for the year. Um, the ball comes through that court a bit slower from most players. The guys who thrive here tend to be um, specialists in the clay court. They're hitting with a lot of topspin. But Thomas has got this forehand it's a bit of a weapon he hits the ball so flat that he can catch these guys off guard um he hits the ball through the court with such speed that he can kind of neutralize the fact that he's playing on this clay surface and make it difficult for his opponents um but 
at the same time, he's able to utilize extra little bit of time that he gets to sort out his movement, which has often been one of the criticisms of his game. I think he's going to do pretty well at the French Open. I, I, I think he'll probably, you know, guaranteed to reach at least the quarterfinals if he gets the right draw, one that doesn't put him in with Rafael Nadal um, or possibly Djokovic. I think, you know, if, if he draws Murray, assuming Murray makes it, or if he draws... Federer, I think you can see Thomas Berdych possibly making the semi-finals at Roland Garros. Well, that's a big call. I think you might be right, but I think Berdych likes to play in the hard courts a little more, but uh, yeah, good for him. But I don't think he's got much of a chance against Djokovic, though. I'll tell you the other one that's interesting is David Ferrer, your favorite player, is uh, taking on once again Rafael Nadal, a rematch of last week in Madrid. Nadal knocked out, I'll tell you something right now. This Ernest Golbis is just on fire, isn't he? Who is this kid? <laughs> He's one of the most frustrating players on the tour. He's one of those kids that's got so much ability, but he just doesn't seem to be able to hone it into some sort of consistent form where he can come out every single week and do the things that he needs to do to win matches. Um, there's no doubt that he's got the talent he's been blessed with the talent he just doesn't know how to get the best out of himself to each week he comes out on this tour just to, to get the results he needs to, to lift himself up the rankings he, he seems so sporadic in that he can come out and have these games where he looks like he's a top 20 player and then the next week he'll come out and he'll play like he's a top 500 player it's, it's very frustrating to watch but as you just about went on to say there he had this set against Rafael Nadal today where he he won the first set 6-1 uh, and he, he almost you know took Rafael Nadal the distance he, I think it was 6-1, 7-5 6-4 or something that Rafa won in so you know that, that shows the, the quality that Gobus has got that he can hang with Rafael Nadal on a clay court um, and it's just you know it's a little sad that we don't see more of that from him otherwise he'd be a household name by now. Well, I'll tell you what, he's been pretty consistent this year, though. He's He gets to that certain point, but yeah, he came out smoking and he didn't let up, really. He does have a lot of talent. I, I like this kid a lot. He's got a cool name, Ernest Gulbis. He said, yeah, I think I'm going to put him in my tennis Hall of Fame name, or tennis names Hall of Fame, along with my other guy, Jersey Janowitz, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But Nadal and Ferrer, Ferrer had a walkover against Philippe Kohlschreiber, who had a big win this week over young Milos. Milos Arejanic got taken out by Kohlschreiber. What do you think about young Milos on the dirt? I don't think much of him on the dirt, do you? No, the dirt kind of takes away his game, doesn't it? He's kind of reminds me a bit like a better John Isner. He's got that big serve. And he doesn't have to come in and volley. I mean, the serve of uh, Rionic is so big that most of the guys struggle to get that back on the baseline, so it drops short. And his game becomes serve and big forehand. Um, but it's a better game that's suited to faster courts, um, big hard courts where the ball bounces uh, nicely on his racket quickly, and he could put it away or possibly on the grass at Wimbledon. I think he'll have a little bit of success with his game. 
not so much on the clay court. I, I don't think it's for him. It's uh, a much more draining game where the ball is going to be in play a lot longer. And, you know, he's a big kid. He's going to get run down real quick. Um, I, I just don't see him having the sort of success on the clay that he could potentially have on the hard courts. Plus, he's a horrible volleyer. He needs to hit that big forehand. He volleys like a junkyard dog. Really bad. He goes up there with a shovel. I don't know what he's thinking in his head. But young Milos, you're still my favorite guy. I think you're still going to be in the top 10 before the end of the year. Hang in there, young fella. Wimbledon's coming. The hard courts are coming. And the flash has got your backside. Anyway, Ferrer Nadal. Nadal takes this young fella out in straight sets. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think the record is, what, 18 games to four in favor of Nadal. And the last time Ferrer won was at the Australian Open a few years ago when Nadal was injured and he couldn't move. So I think the last legitimate Ferrer win was like 2007 or something like that. You know, that's dominance, absolute dominance. I don't, I don't, I don't think Ferrer's got a chance, to be honest. Well, he does have a chance. Slim and none. And Slim's out to lunch. I think Nadal rolls him in straight sets. I look for a Djokovic-Nadal semi. That would be pretty cool. What do you think about that? A Djokovic-Nadal semi. Not bad. Could be good. And if I guess we might as well just can take, carry it out. I'm going to go with Nadal over Djokovic. And I'm going to say that Djokovic is going to, or Nadal is going to win this entire tennis tournament. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I, I would certainly have him as a favorite. Um, I don't see anyone in the other half of the draw stopping him. So, you know, Djokovic and Nadal's semi could kind of be like a final, I guess. Um, yeah, let's go for Nadal. I like that. I'll tell you what, a couple of folks on the top side of this bottom half of the draw have gotten her done. Benoit Paddy is taking on... Another household name, Marcel Granolers of Spain. In the quarterfinal, holy cow. Perry knocked off Del Potro in straight sets. Who else did he knock off this week? He knocked off Julian Beneteau, and that's not a big, really big upset, I don't think. But Patty and Granolers, who did Granolers beat? Granolers knocked off Andy Murray. Well, Andy Murray retired. <laughs> there was some stink about that too wasn't there yeah it, it was a strange situation where Granolas seemed to be dominating Murray was having this problem with his back or his hip similar to the one he had last year at Roland Garros and you know Granolas was dominating then all of a sudden in the second set Murray came from two breaks down he got into a tiebreaker and he won the tiebreaker and then Murray threw the racket in. He just says, no, nope, you know, towel thrown in. Uh, I'm walking off. I'm done. I'm injured. There's no point in me continuing here. Uh, so it, it was quite strange for him to come back from a double breakdown, level up the match, and then decide he wasn't going to continue. On the one hand, I guess uh, it, it's better for the tournament he stopped it at that point instead of playing another set. Because had he won the match, then, you know, the next guy gets a walkover if he pulls out. So... I think he's maybe uh, helped out Mr. Granolos a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. You know something, man? People are hooting on this kid. 
how do I put this to be? I need to be more kinder to the fans. But these aren't really fans. These are Facebook fugazis. Um, look, most people injured like that wouldn't be able to play a set of tennis against a top-level player, let alone win it. Ugh. Leave the kid alone. He knows what he's doing. He's got Roland Garros coming up. He's got Wimbledon coming up. And he's got a hardcore season coming up. He has to make sure he's healthy. Why would he really screw himself up playing against Marcel Granollers or Jeremy Chardy in the round of 16 in Rome? It makes no sense. Leave the kid alone. He knows what he's doing, and he knows what he can't do. But it is kind of funny, though, that he did come back, two breaks down, win a set, and say, I forget about it. Have a nice day. I like it. I'm starting to really like Andy Murray again. But I'll tell you who my guy is. Jersey Janowitz, dude. Jersey Janowitz is taking on Roger Federer in the other quarterfinal matchup. Does Jersey have a shot? I think Jersey's one of those guys who's got that style of player that's a bit all in, if you want to put it that way. Um, you're going to get everything from him. He'll throw the kitchen sink at you. I don't think he's technically one of the best players on the tour. You know, he's no Roger Federer. He's not got that kind of arsenal of shots at his disposal where he can just start playing drop shots and uh, inside out forehands and all these, you know, technical shots that Roger executes so well. I don't think he's got the sort of Nadal either where he can play the sort of ultra defensive game. He's, he reminds me a lot of Joe Wilfred Songa, actually. Um, he's got big, big parts to his game. He's got a big ground strokes. He's got a big, big serve. Um, but as we've seen since he made that breakthrough last year, I think it was Paris at the end of the year, the Paris Masters. Um, Jesse Janowicz, he could break down in tournaments. He, he can get frustrated really quickly. Um, he, he can lose his temper. He can start skewing shots out of the court when he's trying to hit these big shots. And I, I think when he's playing against someone of Roger's quality, I, I think he might struggle a little bit to, to deal with um, the sort of constant onslaught that Roger can can give him. The uh, Roger will probably just sit back in the court dictate play with his forehand, move Jazzy around the court and uh, sort of frustrate him into trying to hit shots at a low percentage. Uh, if Jazzy's having his day, I'm sure he'll land a few of those shots and he, he can maybe worry Roger a little bit. But uh, I, I think, you know, Roger's just got a little bit too much quality for him. Jersey Janowitz has a great radio name. I like him. He, he took out some folks this week. Joe Willifrey Sanga, he knocked out Richard Gasquet. He just basically made the French Federation his uh, his bitch, I guess. It's the best way to put it. But man, I tell you, Rogers, Roger. Roger knocked out the most famous tennis player in the world, Gil Simone. Famous for ripping for ripping on Maria Sharapova. Yeah, she's not that big. Why do they get extra money? Oh, he's a hoop. But anyway, I got Federer in this one. Sorry, Jersey. Man, I would root for you all the way, but you're going up against Fed. That ought to be interesting. And I got in the other one, I guess I'm going to go with uh, the household name of Benoit Perry, only because he's got an interesting name, too, because I don't think either one of these guys have a shot. And it looks like I got us a Federer-Nadal final. I like it. 
What do you think? Federer and Nadal in the final? Nadal winning? I could certainly see Roger Federer getting there, um, definitely, because of the side of the draw he's on. And if Nadal gets there, which is it looks likely, if, uh, I just don't see any way Roger can beat him on the clay. Um, that big top spin forehand onto Federer's uh, backhand will stop Roger attacking. He'll have to try and take the ball a little bit earlier. Um, he's always had difficulty with that against Rafa. Uh, it, it's it, it's a Rafa's tournament if he if it's a Rafa Roger final, I believe. I think you're right. Good luck to all the participants out there. And now let's take a look at the women's side of things. Geez, I, I, this is a big surprise. Serena's rolling everybody again. I'm just stunned by the whole thing. <laughs> Goodness. And that noise you hear in the background, folks, those are drunken English people who haven't sense enough to realize that we're putting on a radio show and they, they want to be on it. <laughs> so what can we do? Anyway, Serena rolling. But this young gal, Carla Suarez Navarro, getting her done, huh? Definitely a good week for the the Spaniard. Um, probably feeling pretty at home on the clay. Surface that suits the, the Spanish game. Um, interestingly enough, she just overcome another Spaniard to, to set up this quarterfinal with Williams. So uh, the Spanish women, for a change, are having uh, a little bit of success out there, which is um, pretty good because, you know, there's not been too many successful Spanish women in the last couple of years on the tour. Uh, I, I think she's done well, uh, Suarez Navarro. She's, I think she beat Petrova in the first round, and since then it's been a straight set of victories to set up this match with Williams. Um, the only downside is she's playing Williams now, and she won't win that one. <laughs> yeah, that's always a bummer, isn't it? You play your heart out, you roll a couple people, and then you run into Serena. But maybe Serena will uh, take pity on her. You never know. But Serena's nasty off court. Don't forget that. But I got Serena. I mean, come on. She doesn't lose. She killed Laura Robeson. And she kills everybody. Sivakova, another massacre. These are just, Serena's just massacring people right now. She's playing, as uh, Vic Braden used to, or I'm sorry, Bud Collins used to say, She's hitting the ball with bad intentions. Maybe that's why Sloane Stevens is upset. Good Lord. Anyway, at the bottom half of the draw, this young gal from Romania is Roland. Simona Halep from Romania is uh, found her way into the quarterfinals, and she takes on Jelena Jankovic, who actually, she had a big win over Lina, didn't she? Yeah, um, I just caught Jankovic in a bad week as usual because uh, I used to bet on Jankovic quite frequently and she'd be the one that let me down. Uh, this week she's <laughs> having one of her better weeks. Uh, I, I think what's really happened Jankovic, for, for Jankovic this week is she came through that first match against Pironkova and she must have been delighted to see um, her countrywoman Bujana Jovanovski in the second round, because for Jankovic, that's, you know, she knows she's better than Jovanovski. Um, she have a point to prove to Jovanovski to say, look, you know, I'm the, the second best Serbian player. You're the third best. I'm going to show everyone that. And she did. And uh, I think that's given her a little bit of confidence this week. And she was able to take that into the match with 
uh, Mali, and she's she's been riding that crest uh, right into this quarterfinal against Halep. Well, I think Jankovic has been playing pretty well this season, surprisingly well. Halep, uh, no, no shot against Jankovic, but then it doesn't really matter because they're in Serena's side of the draw, unless Serena's like Victoria Azarenka wakes up with, gets a bad pedicure, and even then I don't think it'll stop Serena. Looks like Serena in the final. You go with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's nobody there that's going to stop Serena. The, the, the way they could stop her, I guess, is to get all three of the other quarterfinalists and you know maybe have them all play at the same time against her, or one after the other, or something, and see if one of them eventually <laughs> beats her. But uh, probably she, not. She'd still beat them all. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? The only way to stop her is with a gun, but. Serena knows how to handle that, too. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the other side of the draw, we only have a couple more minutes. Sam Stoser's had a good tournament this week, and our favorite player, Victoria Azarenka, is her quarterfinal matchup. I like Stoser in this one. What do you think? Yeah, Sam's another one of those players for me. It's just a little bit sporadic. She'll come out there some days, and she'll look um, every bit the Grand Slam champion she could be. Uh, whereas other days she'll come out and you wonder how she, how enough you know she's in the top ten sort of thing. Um, yeah, as a ranker's, she's probably breezed through this week. You know she's played four sets and uh, one of those wasn't even a complete set because her opponent retired. Um, but I think you know Stores was a good shot. I think we could have an upset here and. Uh, you know, maybe we'll have some more fireworks from Vika when things stop going her way. Well, that's what we want to see in Rome, fireworks. The only time you see fireworks is when they elect a new pope. So I think this is a good time for some. And, and, and Vika will do that for us. That's for sure. All right, in the other semifinal, look at this. Sarah Irani, or a quarterfinal, Sarah Irani and Maria Sharapova. Sharapova destroyed Sloan Stevens. Sloan's probably thinking... If I win this match and I get to the final, I have to face Serena and I have to eat my words again. Um, who you like there? I, I got Sarah Irani. I'm taking Irani. No, I'm going to go the other way. I think I'm going to go with Sharapova. Um, the one thing Irani does struggle with a little bit is Sharapova's power on the serve. And that's kind of what killed Irani last week against Williams in Madrid. She, If she can get the ball back in the play... Uh, get a good return on the serve, then she's fine because she's one of those players that can juke it out on the clay court. She'll run back and forward all day, um, keeping that ball in play, make it very difficult for her opponent. But players like Williams and Sharapova, even when they're not serving particularly well, they should still serve well enough to win enough free points against someone like Irani that she'll not be able to wear them down like she can other opponents. Um, I don't think she's got the best record against Sharapova, so I'll stick with the Russian on this one. Yeah, you're probably right. And then I'm going to take Maria Sharapova to make it to the final against Serena. And then you all know who I've chosen to win this this tournament as well, right? Is it any surprise? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's any surprise. I think everyone's thinking the same way. There would have to be a, an injury or some sort of catastrophe for uh Serena not to win this one. It'd be a huge upset if one of these girls uh, took her out. Not according to that website I read. You gotta stop reading these websites, dude. I, I actually write on one of them. 
Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. That's why we put this show up there to to balance out the bad stuff. But anyway, Craig, great stuff tonight. Thanks for staying up late with me and bringing this show to the folks. They appreciate it, by the way. And we were a little silly tonight, or at least I was. That's what happens when you get no sleep. <laughs> anyway, Craig, thank you so much for being on the show, dude. No problem. Uh, thanks for having us again, and I you know, look forward to working with you again in the future. Yeah, like next week. Anyway, uh, you can find Craig over at CraigDwellPhotography.com. And if someone hacks his site, just come to PhilMasons.com, and I'll make sure that Craig gets your message. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's This Week in Tennis. Until next week, y'all take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening, and most importantly, enjoy the tennis.